0: Hello, and welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom, or wherever you're listening today, is someone who was, as she puts it, weaned on avocados and stories in Zambia where she was born. Now, since then, she's travelled all over the world, gathering experiences along the way and tucking them into her writer's toolkit, waiting for just the right moment to weave them into just the right tale. And now, with her first novel, Tiger Skin Rug, I think that's exactly what she's done. And she's here to talk with us about it today. Joan Haig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello and hello to all the lovely listeners tuning in. It's wonderful to have you with us here today, Joan. I'm going to go back to that phrase, I think, because it's just so beautiful. Weaned on avocados and stories. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. Where where did the stories come from and and just how good were the avocados?
1: (laughs) The avocados were excellent. And actually, we had a grove of um, avocado and mango trees in our garden growing up um, in In Zambia in the Copper Belt. I was born up in the African bush in a little village, um, but we moved when I was five to a mining town in the Copper Belt. So two quite different experiences and just surrounded by stories. My parents used to tell us stories um, every night. We were very lucky growing up that we had that. And my dad also used to croon to us on on his guitar. So we had stories through song as well, which was lovely. But also just being surrounded by African tales and and folklore, I think, was really
0: formative in my experience of of growing up and of writing. So was this storytelling pretty much in the oral tradition or were your parents reading published works to you as well?
1: Both. So we didn't have as many books as as. We might have had if we'd grown up in a different country that had more libraries and bookshops, but we were very lucky to have um, two very generous aunties who would send us books from Scotland out to the centre of Africa, and so we did have um, a, a lovely collection of books. My mum was also a primary school teacher by training, so she'd gathered some some stories um, and, and books along the way. We also, my generous aunties, also sent us. Um, a series called The Storyteller Books, which was a magazine that came with a cassette tape. So we would listen to that often and you could read along the story. Um, But many of the stories that I picked up, I'm talking just about folklore and oral histories and oral learning, learning about our family stories through round the dinner table conversations or bedtime stories. And I think sometimes those are the best ones when you're growing up. We had people around us, surrounded us, um, who would be able to tell us African stories. So Mike, who was um, our houseboy, he um, lived with us and helped around the house and he would babysit us sometimes and we would hear his stories of quite fantastical, quite unbelievable things. (laughs) He would tell them (laughs) as though they were true and it would frighten us and
0: delight us in equal measure. So a mixture that sounds really wonderful. And and at what point did you start becoming part of that tradition yourself? So, so at what point did you stop just listening to and absorbing all these stories and start telling your own?
1: I think I always told stories. I think my parents might have called them something else. Um, I, <laughs> I did like to pretend a lot and... <laughs> told little white lies here and there that um, I suppose we're part of a story building um, scene but I did live a lot of the time in another world I suppose my sister and I would play out in the garden for hours on end and we lived up in trees and had all sorts of story worlds around us that were really powerful we also had cut out magazines my parents would have to order our clothes and kind of any household things over catalog um to get to reach us where we were so we would get these huge big tomes and my sister and I would cut out the models and the the utensils and the cars <laughs> and whatever was in this catalog and we would make paper dolls out of them and play for hours on end with these these paper dolls so there was all this and they they seemed so different to us because they weren't from the culture that we were growing up in so it felt like fantasy as well. So there was a lot of storytelling through play, I think, um, growing up. And that I would say that I did that for quite an extended period of time. I didn't give up that kind of imaginary world until I was kind of
0: 11, 12, 13. It, so- it sounds amazing. You haven't mentioned one of the other media by by which a lot of us get our stories, both when we're children and older, which is television and and the other routes like that. Did that have a part to play in your childhood? It did. Um, we didn't have a
1: television until I was a little bit older. And even then it was restricted because the broadcasting system growing up in Zambia, the broadcasting service was quite limited. So every evening there was um, television, but you would have to wait for it. And then you would have to they had the national anthem <laughs> and then they would have some children's programs. They were predominantly American, actually. So I, I was introduced to American shows through that. My my mum and dad did have a collection of VHS videos that we watched, um, and they tended to be the old movies, actually old black and white movies and dancing <laughs> musicals. <laughs> but we had we had a selection that were superhero cartoons and Pink Panther cartoons and things that the kind of bop on your head cartoons that were really laugh out loud Um, (laughs) and yeah I I suppose that did influence me but not so much I think in the storytelling just in the kind of enjoyment of a way to escape and I suppose books like television are a, a great way
0: to just escape for a while into a different place. Yeah, exactly. And I, I suspect the the glamour of television probably faded somewhat, surrounded by all these incredible real stories linked to the, the place where you were and the people you were meeting and the things that you were seeing. Tiger Skin Rug is it's a story. It's, it, it's not really like any other story that I've read. It, it really niggles at you and, and gets at you and, and stays with you. And I'm, I would really like to know where it started. It started in a
1: really special place, actually. It was, it, was, it was a story that I essentially stole the idea for it anyway.
0: You <laughs> heard it here first, listeners. I'm just saying.
1: Thieving is bad. But I think like all stories, stories do have roots in other ideas. And I think one of the things that I would definitely advise children is to always just listen out and watch around you because there's ideas for stories everywhere, And this idea came from my auntie, one of the generous aunties that I was talking about who would send us stories. (laughs) Um, She had promised my sister and I that she would write a a book and she dreamt up this book long, long ago about a magical tiger skin rug. And she wouldn't tell us anything about it. She was going to write it as a book. And we looked forward to it for years and years. And every so often we would ask her if she'd written it yet. And she would say, no, not yet, not yet. I'm going to get to it. But she was a teacher. And as teachers know, that's a very busy job to be. So she didn't really get round to writing it. And um, we both just always wanted to know what this story was. And very sadly, she got dementia. And by the time she had the time to sit down and write, she'd forgotten what the story was. Um, And when I was thinking of writing a a story for my own two children, it was the one I wanted to write. It was just such an incredible idea about a, a tiger skin rug that was magical. So I have no idea, unfortunately, what her story would have been but I took the idea and I I just went where it took me. So um I imagine it's quite a different story from the one that that she would have told.
0: I wonder if that's why it niggles and stays with you though because it's clearly a story that has just been desperate to be told in in one form or another for years.
1: I love that you felt that about it cuz um it did it was just there. It's always just been as you say, niggling there um, for me, and <laughs> and it was such an honour to to, and quite scary actually to, to take an idea that you think is really good and and then try and do it justice. Um, I think that was quite a, a
0: nerve wracking thing to do. Well, I think you definitely did it, it justice, and I would love it if you could share a little bit of it with our readers so they can they can see if they feel the same and I'm, I'm sure they will. So if it's okay, I'm just going to pause the recording for a little bit while you find your book and find your page and, and find a piece to read and then we will be back for a tiger-shaped taste of adventure. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with our guest today, Joan Haig. Joan, you're going to read from your book, Tiger Skin Rug, for us now. Would you mind please just setting the scene a little first so our listeners have an idea of what's going on?
1: Absolutely. So, The story of Tiger Skin Rug is the story of two little boys, um, Lal and Dilip, who come over from India to live in Scotland, and they come with their parents and their grandmother, who's called Naniji. And they come from a very modern apartment in India and move to a very cold, old, stone grey house in Scotland, and they're very homesick. They don't like this big old cold house and on the very first day that they get there, Lal, who's the older brother, has a very creepy experience in the new house and that doesn't help him to feel settled. The creepy experience is that he is in the drawing room with a tiger skin rug that happens to be left in the house. And there's old, there's other old things in the house. So there's ornaments and there's a television in that room. And he sees in the television a reflection of something moving behind him. And when he turns round, there's nothing there except the tiger skin rug. And he finds that very, very scary. And there's another few encounters with the rug where he sees it seeming to move or ripple. And he knows that his little brother Dilip spends time with the rug and he's a little bit worried about this rug and what it means and he thinks that there's possibly a ghost in the house. One afternoon he's frolicking around in the garden and he looks through the window and Dilip, his little brother, is in the drawing room with the tiger skin rug and he sees him bopping around and talking to the rug and then he sees the rug start to morph and it morphs into a real life-size tiger And Lala's terrified. He tears round the side of the house, bursts into the living room, into the drawing room where his brother is with this tiger. And he's there to rescue his little brother. The tiger was so big, it was like the room shrank. It shifted from one side to the other on hefty paws. I pressed out my hand to Dillip, but couldn't take my eyes off the tiger. It turned and looked straight back at me. Its eyes, instead of glued-in glass, were honey-golden and blinking with life. I was so fixed on the tiger, I didn't notice until hearing the thud and click that Dillip had crept to the door and shut us in, actually shut us in with the tiger. Dillip It's okay, lal, it's not what you think. I didn't know what I thought. He's my friend, he won't hurt you. Dilip's thin arm was at the tiger's mane, which was thick and glossy, and gave the cat a kingly look. Its jaw dropped in a yawn, revealing a rack of glinting teeth. My jaw dropped too, at seeing all those canines and carnassials, tools for seizing and shearing flesh. There were more teeth than I remembered. There was more of the whole thing than I imagined. Dilip was stroking it like it was the neighbourhood moggy. "'Come closer, Lal. Dilip said in a soft voice. I considered the invitation. The tiger had a faint, warm glow, what Naniji would call an aura, wavering around it. It didn't seem angry. Or hungry. But what did I know about that? Don't touch him, said Dillip. Just hold out your hand. Keep it still. Let him come to you. Don't scare the tiger. Scare the tiger? I did what I was told. Well, mostly. I held out my hand, but I couldn't stop it quaking. Before I knew what was happening, the tiger had leaned forward and was pressing its forehead against my palm. Like a current of electricity zipping between two poles, something wild and raw connected us. Something new and ancient, impossible and yet true. Despite everything, I felt suddenly calm. I breathed out. See, said Dilip, pulling me to sitting. The tiger spiralled down with a humph. Its nostrils flared. Its nose was moth-shaped, I noticed. Dilip looked so little and the tiger so... so real. We sat a while not speaking as everything I knew about anything scrambled and recoded. How did it happen? I asked. How long have you known? And Dilip said it had all started when he needed somewhere to be alone, when he was missing India. Nobody came into the drawing room much, because nobody liked seeing the rug. But he didn't think it was so bad, so he escaped here every so often. Then one day I started telling it stuff, he shrugged, and I saw that when I whispered, the tiger skin looked all wavy. We both looked at the tiger. Lal, there's magic when I whisper. And the more I whisper, the more the magic makes the tiger come alive. I frowned. I knew there was no such thing as magic. I was nearly twelve, after all. Magic was made up in stories. And yet, here we were. I touched the tawny fur of the tiger's neck. Weren't you frightened? I asked, thinking of the reflection in the TV that first day. A bit. A bit. Mostly that you wouldn't believe me. I tried to tell you. I know. There's something else, Lal. What? What is it? What else could there possibly be? Dilip took a deep breath. The tiger talks back to me.
0: Oh, the shivery moment. That scene is so vivid. I I was there in the room with the boys and, and the tiger for a moment there. Now, I have to ask you, have you ever been as close to a tiger as that?
1: <laughs> I have not.
0: <laughs> so, how did you write about it? How did you make it happen?
1: One of the things I did do actually is, as part of research was go in and see tigers, um, unfortunately, behind bars. And they are such, such beautiful creatures. The closest comparison I can actually make to to the proximity and how I might write about it is my domestic cats my two moggies that I have at home (laughs) um, and just imagining what would happen if they were a lot bigger than they are it's I suppose one of the great things about imagination is that it can take you to places that you just never thought you would go and I never in my life imagined that I would be in a room with a real life tiger but when I was writing that's that's where I was putting myself.
0: That's amazing, and your your writing it it does have it has a really beautiful rhythm to it. So I'm I'm thinking of something like, hang on, I'm just going to look at the the extract that you were reading. So, like a current of electricity zipping between two poles, something wild and raw connected us, something new and ancient, impossible and yet true. That has such a lovely beat to it, such a lovely rhythm. I suppose I'd like to know whether that's just how language flows out of you, if that's just naturally who Joan is when she writes, or if there's an element of, of crafting, of refining, of, of, of knocking it into shape to get it so so precise.
1: It's a very good
0: question. And I think
1: the answer would have to be both those things. So I do think it's an, a super thing if you are doing creative writing just to let it flow and to let the words just fall onto the page. But I also think you need to return to those words then and to use some tricks of the trade to to tweak them and to make them sound just, just the right way that you want them to sound. So some of the rules that we have for language um, and rhythm are really important to know because you can apply them to your writing, but not necessarily the first time you're writing, but it's very important what we call the editing process when you go back to your work and you retweak it and rework over it and I think with respect to rhythm that poetry really helps and I was a huge fan of poetry when I was younger Um, and I think poetry for children is really important but growing up I did dip into poetry quite a lot and I still do and I think it gives you a really good sense of of the lyrical and, like you said, of a beat that you can
0: instill in yeah
1: writing that isn't necessarily poetry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and i I know that when I'm writing something, even if I'm just writing an email to a friend or a, a little a little book review or or anything, I do find that if I read it out loud to myself that's always the point at which I go oh do you know what actually one fewer word here or just a a slightly different shape of the sentence there that that's when I hear it I think
1: I think definitely that's a great tip is reading out loud and sometimes it feels a bit silly to read out loud to yourself um I read sometimes to my cats and sometimes (laughs) to a soft toy that happens to be there I have a a tiger mascot um, um and it doesn't feel quite so silly if you're if you're aiming it at something
0: else (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good piece of advice Um, I wanted to ask you as well just a little bit about plotting because there's there's quite a complicated plot I would say to this story there's a a mystery in there that needs unraveling and, and it's right at the heart of everything and I'm always intrigued to know how much of that is planned out before you start putting the words down? Do you know how the whole thing is going to go right from the start? Do you do it chunk by chunk? What's your method? Um, I would love to
1: say that I have a method. (laughs) I think a lot of writers do like to plot out. And with Tiger Skin Rug, I didn't really do that. Um, I didn't really want to know how it ended. And it kept me going as I was writing it, that I didn't quite know what the ending would be. And I didn't know what where the adventure was going. So I was kind of making it up as I went along a little bit. And it's that editorial process that I was talking about earlier where I went back over the story at the end and saw actually that bit doesn't really need to be there. And there's, oh, there's a bit too many obstacles. Let's take that one out. So I didn't plot that one. And with the book that I'm writing just now, the fiction the next novel that i'm writing i have plotted it um out a little bit more and i have to say i'm now that i know what's going to happen in this next one it's not quite as exciting to write because i know <laughs> the ending um so i'm hoping that maybe the ending might change as i go along again um it might twist on you you never know <laughs> turn into something that i wasn't expecting um i think Having said all that, it is quite a good idea to plan because having a basic beginning, middle and end is is very useful. I think the beginning of a story is fantastic. And what a lot of people do is write a really, really brilliant beginning and then get stuck at that beginning and they don't know how to move away from it and how to move on. So from the beginning having an idea of where the story is going to go is quite useful I know when I was little I've got I've got lots of diaries and and old jotter books that I used to start stories in and I have the beginnings of lots of stories but they never really went anywhere and I think that's possibly because I didn't think it through and plan so it's not to say that planning isn't a good thing to do it's just that
0: I'm I'm not terribly good at it (laughs) We're all learning all the time, Joan. That's absolutely fine. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you, which is a bit of advice that's thrown at writers quite often, especially young writers, I think. And that's the phrase, write about what you know. Now, I'm interested to know what you think about that because obviously you've drawn on landscapes and and countries and and places that you know, but your, your characters, are quite different from you and you know the, the things they do are, are not the same as your experience so i mean how, how does that work with with the whole write what you know idea
1: i think writing what you know is a really good place to start and i started for example having moved away from zambia when i when i was young i was very homesick for zambia we then moved to the south pacific and then moved away again from there. So I was homesick again for (laughs) for that. So I spent a lot of time, I think, acquainting myself with how to cope with being homesick. So on that level, I was writing very much just about a child who was homesick and my character is a child who's homesick. And I think that is very important. In terms of all the cultural references and the things that go around the character that I made that aren't my own culture... I think it's just important to do lots of research and I think one of the great pieces of advice that I got when I was learning to tell stories at school was a teacher who just said always keep your eyes open and always listen to the stories are in the world around you and in the people around you. It's so much about just observing the little things that happen and remembering the little details that can really make make something quite rich and, and have a authenticity to it so I think writing what you know is really very important but I would also encourage people to step out of what what they know it would be quite dull for me I think if I was just to tell my own story or if I was just to listen to other people telling their own story I think it's it's really important that we're brave enough to to walk in other people's shoes sometimes and see the world from different perspectives and I try to do that in my writing while also being as true as I can to and respectful as I can to um to the culture or or ideas that I'm drawing on
0: I think that is absolutely wonderful advice I I love it and the prospect of that is so exciting to me and I hope it's exciting to our readers too. You're not going to believe this, but we're starting to run out of time. I I don't know where it's gone. I I did want to pause just for a moment and remind um, all the teachers and parents listening that we do produce a free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom so that young listeners can take what they hear from our guest and use it to inspire brilliant professional quality creative writing of their own all the packs including the one based on this conversation with joan can be downloaded from plazoom.com and the details are in the episode notes so joan i'm just gonna pause the recording again for a moment while everybody makes sure they've bookmarked plazoom.com and uh, then we'll be back for just a couple more last questions before we say goodbye Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with today's guest, Joan Haig, whose debut novel, Tiger Skin Rug, is definitely one that everyone should put on their reading list. As I just said, Joan, Tiger Skin Rug is your first published novel. Does writing feel different now that you've got a book in the bookshops and you're being asked to incredibly important things like this podcast? (laughs) 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 it does feel different
1: it feels brilliant it's it's such a lucky position to be in to Mm -hmm. have a a story out in the world that can be it's in a format that can be shared with with lots of lots of people and lots of children and I think possibly writing now um I feel a slight pressure to to tell a story that's that's good enough really um that's all my own idea (laughs) And that's that's going to do the same, going to reach children and and make them think about the world and just give them a form of, of escape, I suppose. Um, the book that I'm working on currently is is a nonfiction, um, so I'm I'm co-authoring it with an author called Joan Lennon, and it's quite a different way to write um from fiction but i'm trying to bring some of the the fun and entertaining and the the rhythm that we talked about into into non-fiction as well yeah. um and i don't think in lots of ways it's very different way to write but in some ways it's just a joy knowing that these words that i am putting on the page will be will be shared and i think that's that hasn't changed really i think before when I was writing my first novel I didn't know that it was going to be shared and now I do know that my words can be shared and I think that's quite exciting.
0: I think stories demand to be shared don't they and that's why I think it, it's so brilliant when schools are able to share the stories that they're pupils right with each other so you know maybe year six will go in and share their stories with the year two class or or, or vice versa or even take them out into the community and share them there I, I just think if, if you've got a really good story to tell it, it it wants to be told everywhere so it's marvelous that tiger skin rug can be shared so widely
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think even taking a story and telling it to your parents or carers or whoever's at home or taking it to your teacher and, and saying, you know, you've written something of your own that you would like to share is, it's quite a nerve wracking thing to do sometimes because it's a little bit of yourself yeah. that you're showing and giving to somebody else. But it's so
0: powerful. And I think, as you say, stories are meant to, to be shared. They are. And they don't have to be big, epic tales either, do they? I think sometimes you can think, well, my story is so small and, and and ordinary, but it still wants to be shared. And it's still a joy to to tell it to somebody else and then perhaps have them tell it to somebody else. Yeah. And listening to stories are the same. I think children at school are lucky
1: because they get yeah. their teachers tell them stories, but it's also worth just remembering that there's stories in your family that you might not know about and they're quite ordinary stories about family life that some of those ones are the most extraordinary and um, because they'll mean something to you and so i would definitely ask people around you to tell you stories
0: about about them because you'll get ideas and you'll learn so much from do, from listening i think that is superb advice and and something that everyone listening can do and if you if you do listeners then drop us a line, tell us about it, tell us the stories that you've found out. We'd we'd love to hear them. Joan, I'm afraid that is about all the time we've got to talk today. Like I say, I can't believe how quickly it's gone. I know that everyone who, like me, has already finished Tiger Skin Rug will be looking forward so much to whatever you come up next, your nonfiction book for sure, but also that difficult second album that's that's flourishing (laughs) inside you I I know it's going to come and it's going to be amazing and we can't wait it's been such a pleasure having you on author in your classroom thank you so much thank you thanks it's been a joy and thank you too to all our listeners I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Joan as much as I have we'll be back soon with another brilliant guest but until then keep reading keep writing and keep making time to dream goodbye Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATs revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen. With author in your classroom and plazoom.